I'm Andy Johnson. This is the Reading Instruction Show. Today's topic, reading practice, reading volume, voluntary reading. Now, we do not teach students how to read. What, you say? Most students already know how to do this. They understand the process. They know that the letters stand for sounds. They know that letters are put together to create words. They know that these words go together to create ideas. They also know that these ideas make sense. They know how to read. The problem is they're not very good at it. So, what do you do in your real life world when you know how to do something but you're not very good at it and you want to get better? I would assume that most of you practice. Reading practice is incredibly important in reading instructions of any kind. Extensive reading has been linked to improvement in general knowledge, vocabulary, spelling, fluency, reading comprehension. Also, the amount of reading students do is positively correlated with word identification skills, academic achievement, comprehension, reading fluency, and writing. Finally, increasing the gap. Increasing the time spent reading independently has been shown to be an effective way to reduce the gap between high and low level readers. So riddle me this, Batman. If reading practice is so important, why does so little of it occur in schools? Why is free voluntary reading not a mandated part of reading instruction? Why is it not considered an important part of scientifically based, air quotes, reading instruction? Why is it not included in lists of research-based strategies? Why is reading practice not a central part of reading instruction and intervention programs? <laughs> well, one common objection to the inclusion of reading practice for struggling readers is that it gets in the way of all the research-based strategies and scientifically-based reading programs that have been proven to work. Of course, if all the research-based strategies and scientifically-based reading programs were actually helping struggling readers create meaning with text, I would have had a much shorter podcast podcast simply would have said, purchase the right reading intervention program. That would have been the end of it. You wouldn't have to be bothered with all this messy thinking stuff and trying to understand reading and the reading process. Designing effective reading interventions would simply be a matter of purchasing the right program and following the instructions with fidelity. And when that program proves to be ineffective, as it inevitably will, you'll then follow the instructions with even more fidelity. And when that does not work, you'll purchase a new program or pay a consultant to come to your school and tell you how to implement their program with fidelity. And the cycle of for-profit education will continue. However, there is not a set of research-based pedagogical strategies that will make learning magically appear. The assumption that there are such magical teaching strategies represents a simplistic notion of educational research, 
teaching and human learning. However, there are a variety of strategies that research has shown to be effective. But the effectiveness of any strategy is dependent on a multitude of variables, such as context, purpose, implementation, and the human entities involved. In other words, the effectiveness of any teaching strategy is dependent on how, how much, how often, why, when, and for whom it is used. Now, here's an interesting bit of research to illustrate this point and bring us back to free voluntary reading. Rosalind Fink's conducted important studies that would not meet the strict definitions of scientifically based reading research imposed on us by the U.S. Department of Education, yet her work offers profound insights into reading instruction and interventions for students with dyslexia. Fink's examined highly successful men and women with dyslexia. Success here was defined as preeminence in their field. Her research participants included people with MDs, people with PhDs, master's level degrees, bachelor's degrees, uh, and as children, all of these highly successful adults had extreme deficits in their decoding abilities. These decoding difficulties continued into adulthood. This, by the way, is why we develop all three queuing systems and not just the phonological queuing system. Now, Despite their difficulties with low-level reading subskills, all of these eminent people became avid readers. They were able to read highly complex material and made significant achievements in their field. Yet, as adults, they continued to struggle with single-word decoding of unfamiliar words. That is, when presented with a single word, out of context, or a nonsense word, they had difficulties determining what it was. Now, given their success, how is this possible? Finks found that as children, all these successful adults were allowed to immerse themselves and read in areas of interest to them. Here they developed expertise, building their conceptual and vocabulary knowledge. As well, they became familiar with the schemes and structures of the types of texts found in their fields. This background knowledge and familiarity with text structures was more important for facilitating reading accuracy and comprehension than letter clues. That is, the marginal decoders use background knowledge, context, text structure, and word order to create meaning with print. And that's what reading is, creating meaning with print. Low-level skill mastery was not a prerequisite for comprehension and higher-order thinking. So, what are the implications for this Fink study? Three, first, teachers should help all students discover an area or areas of interest. You can do this by presenting a wide variety of topics in classes and class discussions. Use book talks in which students talk about books and topics of interest and have a wide variety of books and other reading material on a wide variety of topics always available to students. Second, 
Children must be able to select and read books and other reading material that are of interest to them as part of daily reading instruction. Using this material, struggling readers, as well as all readers, must have daily opportunities to practice reading. We should call it reading practice, not reading class. This practice should be a minimum of 15 minutes a day, although 30 to 60 would be ideal. However, if your students have not had much experience with independent reading, it may take time to develop the reading stamina to read this long. And third, as stated, reading instruction and related interventions must include activities to develop all three queuing systems. If one of these queuing systems is weak, the other two can be used by struggling readers to compensate. This maximizes their word recognition efficiency during the process of reading. The Reading Instruction Show, we've looked at the importance of reading practice, and we always want more of it. Please?